Shabbat Shalom, everyone. You may be seated. A few days ago, Tuesday of this week, as a matter of fact, I, um, I was in Israel at a place I've never been before called the Shafdan. Shafdan is an acronym, but it was an inspirational and amazing place. And a one-of-a-kind place, the only one of its kind almost in the world. It is a water reclaiming source. By that it means it takes all the major cities outside of Jerusalem on the coast, Netanya, Tel Aviv, Cholon, Bnei Brak, Ramat Gan, all these major cities, and the Israelis have figured out a way to reclaim 98% of the raw sewage water. That means water that goes down the drain from the shower, from your sink, from your kitchen when washing your car, and even when you flush the toilet. To reclaim 98% of it and to purify it so it becomes 100% reusable water. Now, for those of you who don't know, one of the major issues that threatens Israel and has threatened Israel since its very existence has been water. Outside of other enemy threats, water has been a serious issue for Israel. In fact, it's been a very dry January for Israel. So the ingenuity, that mother of necessity, has forced Israel to come up with one of the largest and best desalinization plants in the world, which takes water from the Mediterranean, desalinizes it, takes all the salt out of it, and makes it potable, potable water so that people can use it for cooking and for drinking. But now, because so much water is used for all types of agricultural needs in Israel, and because so much of it is being used for planting and for growing, and so much of that is actually exported and necessary for the gross national product of Israel, that they're using so much water, they needed to come up with other means. So now 98% of the raw sewage water in this area is being used, and this infrastructure is being sold throughout Africa, where other countries are faced with similar droughts, so that you can reclaim this water and reuse it. It was one of the most incredible places that I've been to in my many, many trips to Israel. I remember actually walking through it with a group of rabbis. We were on an Israeli, uh, Israel bonds mission, and we were all very inspired, even though it smelled a little bit like parts of Newark uh, when we were walking through. And one of the rabbis said to me, this is so inspirational. Do you think you can give a sermon on this? To which we all kind of giggled to ourselves because most of our sermons are recycled waste. And <laughs> I was working on that since Tuesday. <laughs> but all joking aside, I found it incredibly inspirational to see how Israel was able to renew itself again. To renew itself again against some of its ancient threats. Things that threaten its very existence and could create a new identity for itself. Something that isn't only used to help Israel, but as soon as it started helping Israel, Israel was exporting that technology to countries that it could help them too. And it takes countries throughout Africa and offers the same technology and it does more than just giving them the possibility of reclaiming this water. It creates friends. It creates allies. And friends and allies matter. They matter at the United Nations. They matter when you're threatened from other sources. 
And it's always good to have friends and to have allies. As I started uh, thinking about this renewed threat and this creative new dynamic for how Israel is addressing it, I started thinking of Theodore Herzl's book that he wrote about Israel and his dream. It had a German name. It was called Alt Neuland. Anyone here speak German? No one. Okay. Well, Alt Neuland is a weird oxymoron. It means new old land. New old land. So why would Herzl call Tel Aviv in particular and other areas of Israel a new old land? It's either a new land or it's an old land. And in essence, in essence, that's what Israel is. It is a new old land. And if you think about the work of the Shaftan, that's exactly what it's doing. It's taking that wastewater and reclaiming it to make it new. And that's what Israel does emblematically for so much, so much of all of its infrastructure, technology, startup, and programming. And that continues to fuel its inspiration, its innovation, and making it an Orla Goyim, a light to other nations. But at the same time, Israel continues to face threats. Now the threats that face Israel today are different in their nature than the threats that faced Israel in 1948 and 1956 and 1967 and 1973 and 1982 and 1991 and 2000 and so on. They are different in nature, but they are threats just the same. You see, in 48, 56, 67, and 73, those were traditional wars. That's when nations like Iran, Iraq, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Lebanon, at different times and in different ways, attacked Israel. In 1980 through 82, we were in northern Lebanon. In 85, we had Intifada 1. In 91, we were being rained down upon with Scud missiles from Iraq. And 2000 was Intifada too. But now there is another warfare, a new form of warfare, but an old form of warfare. And that is attacking Israel through a new vehicle. And it's called VDS, Boycott, Divestment, and Sanctions. And more people today, especially in the Jewish community, know about the issue of BDS than ever before. And for that, we have to thank Scarlett Johansson and SodaStream. Now for those of you who are regulars here, you might see the smile on my face and on your face whenever I say SodaStream, but we have many guests visiting with us for Shabbat, so allow me to illuminate you with some of the information about this great technology that our temple has absorbed. SodaStream is a company and a factory that I was blessed to visit last year on a trip to Israel. It is in the city of Ma'ale Adumim, just north outside of Jerusalem, but technically inside the green line of what is the West Bank. There, they make machines and bottles and syrups that take regular water, some of it that's been reclaimed through the Shaftan even, and they can carbonate it through this machine, make it into seltzer water, and then with the syrup, you can make it into any flavored soda you want. SodaStream has collaboration with anything from Country Time to Kool-Aid to a whole bunch of other things, including Crystal Light, so that you can have the flavor drink you want, carbonated the way you want. Now, there are three things that make SodaStream unique and special that make me proud that we've gotten rid of all of our regular sodas at the synagogue and only use SodaStream for over a year now. The three things are as follows. 
One, SodaStream saves bottles. The purpose of SodaStream is when you use a bottle to carbonate the water, you reuse it over and over and over and over. And this synagogue used to go through more than 6,000 bottles in a year. 6,000 just this synagogue. Imagine other synagogues that are larger or, or Jewish centers or other organizations. How many bottles were being lost and most of them not recycled? That's number one. Number two, the sugar content and most of the syrups at SodaStream is significantly lower than most of the sodas that you'll buy on the shelf, so it's healthier for you. But here was the most compelling part about SodaStream that captured me from the moment I walked into the factory and when I went back with my kids this summer, they noticed the same thing. SodaStream employs Israelis and Palestinians together. And when you walk in the factory, there are three rooms to the left outside of the working area. Two of them are small and one of them is large. On the left is a mosque. In the center is a giant dining hall and on the right is a synagogue. The CEO of SodaStream, Daniel Birnbaum, who happens to be a conservative Jew who was raised in Cincinnati, he said it's very important that the people who work at SodaStream pray separately but eat together. They pray separately but they eat together. And there more than 950 Palestinians come every day to work. They are bussed in at the expense of SodaStream from wherever they live in the Palestinian territories. When they arrive, they are given free breakfast and free lunch. And it is a healthy and hearty meal and all the soda they want to drink. <laughs> they eat lunch, Palestinians and Israelis sitting at the same tables. Depending on what their job is, whether they are making the canisters that are used as carbonators, whether they're making the actual machinery, whether they're making the bottles, it doesn't matter. You sit with your team. So Israelis and Palestinians are sitting together. And most importantly, the Israelis and Palestinians are paid the same based on their skill and technique, not based on where they live or what their nationality is. As a matter of fact, the Palestinians actually make more take-home money than the Israelis because they're taxed less than the Israeli income. Birbaum says this is critical, critical to both the idealism of two states for two people but working in homogeneity and for celebrating together what it is that we both can bring to the equation. So most of you know that New York hosted the Super Bowl last week and one of the ads, which are almost more popular and especially in this case than the game, one of the ads was a SodaStream ad that was competing against Pepsi and Coca-Cola. And SodaStream hired Scarlett Johansson to be their spokesperson on behalf of the product. When Scarlett Johansson became familiar with the product, of what it's doing both for the environment, and most importantly in her case for the environment, and also what it's doing for the workers and the Palestinian territories and for the Israelis and their idealism, the opportunity it gives for them to collaborate together, she was captured and motivated and she wanted to be part of that team. And even when other organizations threatened her and said to her, you can't do this, she stood by her guns and she continued to stand by the ad and to stand by SodaStream. So much so that other organizations that she was affiliated with, including Oxfam, decided to drop their affiliation with Scarlett Johansson. I'm proud, proud, that she stood by her convictions and is still with SodaStream. Now what's so interesting to me is that in so many of the articles that I have read, some of them quite nasty, attacking her and attacking the organization of SodaStream, 
They claim to boycott, divest, and sanction Israel because of its crimes against humanity and how it treats Palestinian workers. But to me, there are two major glitches with that argument. One, 950 employees are Palestinian at Soda Street. They get bused to and from work every day. They are provided with health care under the Israeli system. They are given food, breakfast and lunch, and they are given a working wage and a reason to come to work every day. 912 of them signed on to a testimonial letter and a video that said boycott, divestment and sanctions actually hurts them. That they're treated so well in Israel and by SodaStream that they are only punished by BDS. But it didn't move the BDS movement one iota. They still went forward. And here's the second problem. The second problem is BDS claims boycott, divestment and sanctions that the reason that they're attacking SodaStream is because its factory is within the Green Line in a place called Maaleh Domin. Well, I'm not a negotiator on behalf of Israel or the Palestinians. I'm not even a pundit. I know a couple of things. I read more than the average person, perhaps, on this issue, but not as much as many others. But I do know that every negotiation since the time of Oslo and Yitzhak Rabin, whether it's a labor government or a Likud government, have all included three major settlement blocks into what will be future land of Israel and not include the future land of the Palestinian people. Those blocks include Ariel, Efrat, and Ma'ala Domim. The President of the United States, Shimon Peres, and both, when I say President, I mean Bush and Obama, Shimon Peres, the President of Israel, and Netanyahu said in Barilan, that there will be, in some variation, a 1967 border with mutually agreed upon land swaps. It's a simple equation. It means the borders will have some resemblance of what they were in 1967 with some land swaps that will interchange between us and the Palestinians and that will be the future border of the Palestinian state. All accords from the time of the 90s onward, over 20 years, have included Ma'ala Adomim, where SodaStream is, in the future Israeli state. It is unquestionable it's not called in except by anyone who is radicalized and fundamentalist. But still, they claim problem with it. So here's an organization, a company, in a place that's going to be undisputed Israeli territory, in a place that's helping save bottles and the environment, and looking after people's health, and giving jobs, meaning, and equality to the Palestinian workers with the Israelis who are there and allowing them and celebrating their religious differences by creating a mosque on the campus for them to pray in alongside a synagogue for the Jews to pray in. But it doesn't sway those who are hell-bent, determined on boycott, divestments, and sanctions. And this, this is just one of the latest forms of warfare on the Israeli people and the pro-Zionist movement. It doesn't matter if you're bringing in tanks or lobbing in missiles or threatening to enrich uranium or if you're saying that you have to boycott everything out of Israel. Because if you do, any way you slice it, it's an attack on who we are and on our homeland. I find it more than puzzling that most of those who are working with the sword of the pen in this BDS movement do so via computer. And almost every single computer chip that any person uses in the world was made in Israel. 
But that, for some reason, doesn't stop them and what they seek and boycott divestments and sanctions against those who support Israel because it helps them. Or how about how many networks in the world have firewalls that protect their security? Does anyone know that the firewalls that you use, whether in your home network or whether at Google, were created by an organization in Israel called Checkpoint? And that that organization in 1992 invented the firewall and there's not one company on the Fortune 500 company list, not one that doesn't use their technology, including those organizations that seek to destroy Israel and the BDS movement. So they can pick and choose those who they want to attack that seem like low-hanging fruit. But if it's to their advantage or to their benefit or to their own security, they seem to ignore that. So they'll attack Israel because we're employing Palestinians and celebrating the future of two peoples living side by side and working side by side. But when it comes time for us to reclaim water and use that ingenuity not only to help Israel but to help other countries who might have the same problem, we're not celebrated or chastised or yelled at. Israel is always in the crosshairs, always the focus of what people are calling, including the ASA just in December, of crimes against humanity. But meanwhile, over 150,000 people have been murdered in the likes of which we haven't seen since Rwanda and before that World War II in Syria. Now, I don't live on the seas, but I haven't seen many flotillas making their way to help the Syrian people on their coast. The flotillas that are stopped on the way to Gaza is headline news even though most of those flotillas are loaded with guns and weaponry from Iran. That seems like a double standard to me. And more frightening, it seems like a new form of warfare that Israel has to gear up in order to fight. As we left the Shafdan, and we were coming back to our hotel in Tel Aviv, we drove by this park and it was right around 5 o'clock when the workday ended. And there were gathered 3,000 African-American men and women. And as we looked outside and drove slowly, there was a lot of traffic. We were trying to figure out what was happening. And what we saw was a protest. This was a protest of 3,000 Sudanese men and women who had snuck into the country of Israel to seek refuge. Because only in Israel were they allowed to be employed, only in Israel were they allowed to celebrate their religion freely. Only in Israel were they able to eat and was the poverty line at a place where they had hope. And they were seeking asylum. Now interestingly, Israel's in quite a conundrum with how to deal with this issue of refugees from Sudan. And what they told them unequivocally was, we will grant you no asylum. But they haven't expelled them yet from the country. The reason that they haven't granted them asylum yet has more to do with political pressures and the precedent it will set in creating peace with the Palestinians. But they haven't expelled any of them from the country. And there they were, foreigners in a foreign land, being protected by the police and the army and having a peaceful demonstration about seeking asylum in a country that isn't theirs. And Israelis were standing side by side, supporting them. 
In any other country in Africa or the Mideast, they would be imprisoned or executed summarily. There would be no trial, there'd be no investigation. And here Israel is offering them food and water and shelter and a place where they can disagree democratically, democratically with those who say that they can't have asylum in that country. There's something beautiful about that, but at the same time there's something criminal when we focus on Scarlett Johansson for saying that she's part of the problem as opposed to celebrating ingenuity, achievement, and opportunity and what Israel offers the world. And every time we ignore some of the other inventions that we use as our weaponry, we are nothing more than hypocrites. And the next person that writes you a letter or sends you an email about BDS or something wrong Israel's doing, write them back about their firewall from Checkpoint. Write them back about their computer chip that was made in Jerusalem. Write them back about how Google and Apple have set up some of their world's, world's most creative and innovative factories and centers outside of Tel Aviv because of what it offers to better the world. Tell them how just this week Israelis have invented a hologram in the operating room that allows them to see the heart three-dimensionally when doing open-heart surgery so that other blocked arteries could be seen without moving the heart. And how this creativity, ingenuity, and a medical sense models the greatest piece that the GI world saw in the pill camp. Remind them that, if God forbid any of these people were on the table, would they want the Israeli technology to save their lives? Or are they so passionate about BDS that they forgo it then too? Israel is not a perfect country. It doesn't get everything right. And I don't believe in every word all of its leaders say. But I'm a proud Zionist. And guess what? America is not a perfect country. It doesn't get everything right. And I don't believe in a lot of things that its leaders say. But I'm a proud American. And when things happen in this country or in this city or in this area that I don't agree with, I'm proud that I live in a place that provides me an arena to disagree democratically. And I'm proud to be a Zionist that celebrates our country and the things that it does and disagree with the things that it does wrong. When God spoke to Bnei Israel, he said, be an or lagoyim, be a light unto other nations. And let me tell you what, whether it's building a high-speed train that's going to connect Tel Aviv to Jerusalem in 20 minutes, which we walk through the tunnels that's almost open in another 24 months, we are an or lagoyim. Whether it's going to the Shaftan and reclaiming raw sewage so that people can have agriculture and that people can eat and we can take the same technology and provide it to hungry countries, we are an or lagoyim, a light unto other nations. When we take those people who are seeking asylum and give them food and shelter and an environment to speak their mind, we are an or lagoyim. When we have a company that wants to save the environment by saving bottles and making people think healthier and providing a scenario where Palestinians and Israelis can live and work and eat together and pray separately, we are an or lagoyim.
And when the Torah tells us in this parsha to light a menorah and to make a ner tamid, it's telling us that you can't walk into a tabernacle that's dark. You have to light up the world. And while it hasn't been perfect, and a few flames have indeed flickered and some have been extinguished, the country of Israel lights the world and makes it a better and brighter place. But you all have a responsibility. And in the theme of the Olympics, all of you are holding a torch too. And you better hold it a little higher and a little prouder and speak a little louder because the next war that Israel is facing is not enriched uranium from Iran. That's true, that's coming. And it's not the 150,000 rockets that are pointed in our direction from Hezbollah. That's there and that's coming too. But the bigger war and the new war that Israel is fighting and that Zionists are fighting is a war against boycott, divestment, and sanctions. And in that war, all of us are soldiers. Whether we're Jewish or we're Christian, Catholic or evangelical, Orthodox or Reformed, we are all soldiers. And we better get armed with the facts and we better be prepared to fight back because Israel never will get the opportunity to lose a second war. May all of us do that. And may we be what God told us to be, an orla goyim, a light unto those nations. May we be bright, 